This episode of Backtalk is brought to you by longtime bitch media sponsor Gladrags, who bring you all the essentials for a safe, sustainable period. Learn about cloth pads and menstrual cups when you sign up for their newsletter at gladrags.com and be entered to win a mini cloth pad starter set. Make sure you tell them Backtalk sent you. Hi, welcome to Backtalk. This is a conversation between two feminists and uh, where we discuss current pop culture. And I am Amy Lamb, the associate editor at Bitch Media. And uh, we just got done wrapping up the latest issue and got sent to press and I am so exhausted. Yay, you sent it to press. Yes. I'm Sarah Merck. I'm the online editor of Bitch Media, which means that this week I have been knee deep in some uh, troubling comment sections um, on a review of Amy Schumer's new film Trainwreck. I am like surrounded by Amy Schumer think pieces. It's so funny. People say like, don't read the comments, but it is literally your job. To it is literally my job to read the comments. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so on Backtalk each week, we talk about two pieces of pop culture news, as well as one thing we read, one thing we watched, and one thing we heard. And so let's kick it off. Oh, I guess we start off by talking about our own personal pop culture news yeah before we jump into all that i want to talk about our favorite personal piece of pop culture from the week can i start yes of course because i'm so excited i have a ticket for a sold out soccer game tonight um the the portland thorns are playing the seattle rain and these are longtime rivals plus it's the first game after the women's world cup that was just in vancouver and there's a couple players who are in the World Cup who are going to be playing in tonight's game. And so it turns out this game, it's here in Portland, and it is slated to be the largest crowd ever for a women's soccer uh, league game in the United States. And I'm going to be there. You're going to be there. I'm, I, I got free tickets, so yes. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm excited about it. Um, I haven't been to a Portland Thorns game before. I've been to uh, the, the male team, the Timbers. I've been to one of their games before, but I'm a big fan of spectacle and i'm excited to root for the women who were just in the world cup yeah and i've never been to any type of like uh professional soccer game so this is gonna be super fun and uh i had read that it, there's supposed to be twenty one thousand people in attendance tonight that's huge yes that's gonna be great we're gonna be two tiny specks in an audience <laughs> of uh women's soccer fans awesome uh so my pop culture flavor of this week is about the NBA. So it's the off season right now. And what they do um, during the off season is there's the NBA summer league where uh, rookies or like second year players or unsigned free agents can kind of play and work out with the team or something. Um, and I don't normally watch it. Uh, and actually I didn't watch it this season <laughs> either, but there is some really fun news because um, Becky Harmon, who was hired last season with the um, San Antonio Spurs as the full time first female full-time assistant coach she became the first head coach for a summer league team with the san antonio spurs and which was amazing to it's so cool to see like a visual of uh, becky Harmon surrounded by these really tall athletes and they're standing there listening to her like draw out a play so that they can do it and so that happened this month and the san antonio spurs ended up winning the summer league championship in las vegas oh cool it's definitely all her coaching Yes, of course. 100%. <laughs> hello. Definitely. <laughs> so that was super neat. And um, I can't wait to see what happens with um, the Spurs during the regular seasons when Greg Popovich is the 
regular normal head coach, but just to see uh, Becky Harmon at the sidelines again, it'd be super awesome. So the first thing we're going to talk about this week is uh, the big film Trainwreck. It's uh, it's an Amy Schumer film directed by Judge Apatow. Um, Amy, tell us about the film. <laughs> uh, well, so it's about Amy Schumer. And so we're going to try really hard not to do any spoilers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's about Amy Schumer playing a character named Amy. And she's, uh, she's a writer for uh, a really misogynistic men's magazine. And it's about how she has kind of like... Um, a crazy life where she has lots of uh, flings and uh, she has a sort of steady boyfriend who's like a bodybuilder in the film and played by um, a perf- I think a WWE wrestler in real life uh, and I think about it's John Cena yes I don't know him <laughs> yeah well um, he yeah he's like super ripped he's huge. in the film yeah yeah um, and then it's kind of like about her journey um, in finding love but it, it was like it was posed as to be like the anti anti rom com, but it turned out to just be a regular old rom com. Well, so what it does, so uh, basically what it does, it sort of reverses the traditional role of a rom com, where you know standard rom com is like a woman who's really like commitment minded and wants to find Mr. Right, and a guy who's commitment phobic and like doesn't know if it's right. But so this one's flipped. So so Amy's character is like sexually empowered, sleeps with a lot of different people. And um, the guy who, you know, she falls in love with is very, like, sweet and romantic and nice. So it's it's flipping the script in that case. But it seems like it didn't work in some other ways. In that basically the whole narrative of the film is the same. Where it's still geared toward monogamous marriage as the end goal. Whereas I think a lot of people going into this wanted to, like, I don't know, see some end where... Amy's just happy with herself. <laughs> right. Just, just to be like subversive in some way. But she ends up falling for the Bill Hader character. And, and there was even, even when the film was being self-aware of itself, like, cause this film obviously it had one of those like lovey dovey montages where you see like the, um, the couple connecting and all the random activities that they do together over with some music. And, and you hear, um, Amy Schumer makes snarky remarks during the montage to like call to, call attention to the viewers to say like hey this is this cheesy montage that's in every rom-com um but it didn't exist in a way that was subversive it was like no this is this is part of the story the narrative that will continue to drive this fake non-rom-com into becoming a regular old rom-com so it's both making fun of rom-coms and trying to subvert rom-coms and as a traditional rom-com structure so it just sort of feels like it didn't they didn't really pull it off no in in the way that I think, especially we've talked before on the show about Amy Schumer's show this season on, on TV. I think what people really like about it is that it does say something subversive. It does say something new. A lot of her skits, I mean, not all of her skits hit the right mark, of course, but some of her skits are really like, wow, I can't believe that's on TV. That's awesome that we are watching this on TV right now. I can't believe that she just said that. And I can't believe that like network execs are signing off on this and saying like, okay, let's put this out there because... Um, it really is sort of edgier and newer than a lot of what's on TV. But this right. film didn't feel that way. I think because uh, her show is just smart. It's really smart. Um, I mean, and there's the critique of her comedy is that it's very white. And it's true of her show. And it was also really true of the film because there were also some like some jokes that just fell so flat. And a lot of them were race-based and it just didn't work. Um, so that was just disappointing. And um, uh, we had a piece written about it for the website by Jess. Keebler and she pointed at something out that was really 
uh, interesting to me is that like Amy Schumer is a stand-up comedian and she wrote and she wrote this film um and there are a lot of like one-liners in this film that just didn't work because they were just one-liners just to like sort of get a good joke in and so with the flow of the film it didn't work and then like there were just jokes that were race-based that didn't work and so you know it's just I mean I the thing is that, like, you were talking about how we ha were monitoring comments on um, our Facebook because we had mm -hmm. the review about the film. And there are people who really love the film who said, like, they, like, belly laughed throughout the whole thing. So I'm happy for them, but it just didn't work out for me in as a viewer. One thing that, that Jess Kibler pointed out in her review that we ran online this week was that one character that really didn't work for her is, uh, is Amy Schumer's dad in the film. Uh, her dad is sort of... Uh, like a racist guy who says a bunch of offensive stuff. And to Jess, who's writing the review, it really felt like he was just there to add shock value and sort of a scandalousness to the film, like that people who see it are going to be laughing at the words he says because they're offensive and they're naughty, you know? Um, and although he's supposed to be like somebody that Amy Schumer, you know, rolls her eyes at and it's like, oh, dad, don't be a bigot, a lot of the humor that he's putting forth is actually just the power of those words and people was kind of giggling about like, oh my God, something like, ah, that's such a naughty word on the screen, right. you know? And it so like in that way- It gives it permission. Right, so yeah. in that way it sort of, it's a, it allows there to be this racist humor in the film, but then it's like okayed because um, Amy rolls her eyes at it, you know? And so I think that for a lot of people who saw it, who are commenting on our Facebook page saying this, as well as Jess who wrote the review are saying like, to me, it just sort of didn't hit the right mark because it just more felt like we wanted to get these offensive jokes in there. So we're going to make this guy say them rather than have um, somebody else say them and be like, oh, yeah, you're supposed to not be laughing at those when he says them. Yeah. I mean, overall, the film was disappointing, but there was one big, bright, shiny star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what, what, what was it you liked about the film? Um, about I love LeBron James in the film. He was so <laughs> good and he's like a good actor and he's funny um just impeccable and then the, the way they because he played uh quote like himself uh but it, i hope that that's not so, really so it's lebron james as lebron <laughs> yes yeah. and like because the bill Hader character he's a sports uh surgeon i think like so he treats uh, athletes and so i guess his bff is lebron james and he was just so good in it and i i, I was like i at every scene that he was in he stole it it was so fun he was like a joy to watch and I just, it was so much fun. And, and without LeBron James in the film, I just would have been like, this film was a super flop for me. Amy, I have some excellent news for you. What's this? I know you want to see LeBron James in every movie <laughs> from now until the end of time. Um, just today, it was announced that LeBron James's production company just signed a deal with Warner Brothers where they're going to be making more movies and uh, stuff in the future. Yes. So there is actually going to be more LeBron in uh, your life. Yeah, I hope so. I think we're... We were saying that maybe there are rumors of possibly somewhere in the horizon there might be a Space Jam 2. Starring LeBron James. That would be incredible. And I want it to have the same animation and graphics as Space Jam 1 because that was like a really fun film as well. Um, but just, I guess my takeaway from Trainwreck is always cast LeBron James. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the next piece of news we're talking, we're going to talk about is um, over the weekend, there was this uh, progressive conference called Net Roots Nation. And so they invited um, Democratic presidential nominees to attend to talk to their audience. Uh, and so Bernie Sanders showed up and former governor, Maryland Governor Martin O'Malley showed up. Uh, Hillary Clinton sat it out because it's 
probably she feels like she's too good for stuff like this. <laughs> she's like, I, I don't think I need Neverest Nation. I'm yeah. fine. <laughs> uh, and so what happened was, I guess, like, it was supposed to be more of, like, uh, a town hall things where these candidates show up and their members would sit in the audience and just kind of listen to them speak and maybe have a Q&A at the end. Um, but uh, activists from the Black Lives Matter movement showed up and they disrupted it. And um, they asked some really great questions. Um, two women in particular, uh, Tia Oso and Patrice Cullors. And Patrice Cullors is one of the three women who founded the Black Lives Matter movement. They actually went on stage um, to talk about um, the death of black men and women in police custody to, so, to bring these issues to light. And um, Martin O'Malley, the former governor, he, he made, I mean, like, while this was happening, he's trying to comment on it. And he made the comment of, uh, oh, black lives matter, white lives matter, all lives matter, like completely missing the point of what the movement is trying to say. And, uh, but, but real talk, like Martin O'Malley's on nobody's radar, right? So it was really like waiting to see what Bernie Sanders was going to say. So he comes out on stage and, um, and the activists, you know, they start to raise their voice again to be like, well, you address this as well. And he was just, he just kind of became like this crotchety old white guy. And like, and uh, if you watch the video of this, he would just kind of like speak over them or like not acknowledge them. Um, and he just kept pointing back to this notion that like, like, yes, there's racial inequality, but we need to like, in order to fix this, we need to talk about like economic inequality. Um, so like that whole thing happened and it was it was so bizarre to see it, it just just watching the video he just seems so out of touch about this this um movement that's you know happening on the ground with people and that affecting that affect their real lives and so a lot of uh, black activists on twitter like called him out on it and a lot of supporters for bernie sanders would then uh respond to the activists the black Lives matter activists and say things like yes well um you know bernie sanders marched with mlk <laughs> or like you know he was a big civil rights activist as if those things uh, means that he's like on point and in touch with the black lives matter movement so that was like a huge critique of that and and i read this really great piece on salon uh titled dear white progressives stop telling black people how to vote by janessa robinson and in it she talks about how it's a, it's really condescending for um, most like for white progressives to tell black people like how they should be feeling about this candidate. Um, a really great line from it was she said, quote, this entire culture of white people feeling as though they know what's best for blacks is rooted in paternalism. And so then she talks about um, like the his history of of black folks in America and and how they arrived here right and and what they've been told that they can and can't do cannot do um and another quote that she said was the reality is that no part of this political system truly benefits black liberation when our institutions are built on anti-blackness the entire political system perpetuates systems of oppression and therefore each candidate and party cannot escape complicity in reinforcing oppression of blacks i just thought that this was this was so interesting to talk about uh, in terms of what the um the upcoming year of years of campaigning will look like um, because like right now political candidates they haven't established exactly what they're going to push what their policies are going to be basically the whole horse race right now is all about rhetoric and all about what they're saying and they're kind of figuring out who they are 
as voters are figuring out who the who, who the candidates are. So I think this is a really interesting time to see like, okay, well, how do they react to these kinds of things? And and what is going to be on their policy agenda in a few years? You know, when people are running for president and they have their, their platform set when, when the Democrats put together their national platform, what's going to be on it that, that responds to the social issues that have really been on everyone's, hopefully on everyone's mind for the last two or three years? You know, how are there... Are there ways that our policies can address systemic racism and discrimination and, um, and, and widespread police violence? Are there ways that we can address that with policies? And when, what are these candidates going to propose? I think that's really interesting to think about what's going to come up and how the hopefully the policies that are discussed in the presidential election are going to reflect on what people have been pushing for in the streets for the past few years. You know, I hope that, I don't know, presidential candidates will take their cues from protesters but what if they did yeah that would be incredible it's just i think that one of the shocking things about uh for me in viewing this this scenario unfold is how seemingly out of touch these candidates are um to social issues that are affecting like a huge population in america uh like a couple of days after what happened at netroots um Hillary's campaign released a statement from Hillary's and in it she she says like Black Lives Matter and I, I forget where I read this but I think it may have been on Twitter but somebody commented like like Hillary saying that Black Lives Matter um, it is important but it also just kind of means that maybe she hired like a, um, a black advisor to tell her to say this right so we really have to watch closely to how um, Democratic candidates um, will be campaigning and what kind of legislation they will propose because um, I think there's this notion that like people of color should vote Democrat because we don't want a Republican in office um, but but are Democrats doing work for people of color uh, especially black folks I, I think that um, hearing the phrase all lives matter on stage is depressing um, it really brings to mind uh, there was another conference last week um, called blog her which is like a big national meetup of specifically women who are writers online and they um, had a keynote panel from two of the founders of black lives matters um, including opal tometi and she had such a great quote so i think this is such a good contrast to what happened at netroots what happened at blog her is oh these people didn't have to disrupt the conference they were actually the keynote speakers on stage and uh, when talked about all the issues with Black Lives Matter. And here's here's the quote from uh, from Opal Tometi that I like the most. She says, We're living in a crisis era, and people are still wanting to be colorblind and to gloss over and to act like we're in this post-racial era. And we're not. We know we're not. And she added, We know that all lives matter. We are well aware of that. But the reality is that anti-black violence is killing our people and it's undermining our lives at every corner. And we have to get very real and precise about what is taking place. And so I, th I just, I think that over the last few months, um, there's been so much written about why it's important to say Black Lives Matter and not be like, but all lives matter, you know, because, and I think that's really what she's speaking to is that it's, um, I think people really want to think that we've progressed beyond a point that we have, you know, it's, it's, I think, I think white people specifically uh, really want to think that everything's okay. And it's not. I mean, how could we possibly win, like, just recently the case with Sandra Bland, who is got pulled over for not using her turn signal? Yeah, and I think that a lot of white people think, like, oh, man, sucks for that person. Like, that case is bad. Oh, and this other case is bad. And this other case is bad. But don't see that as being, like, 
race, racism is a systemic and oppressive force in our society. Right. Or, or like what Bernie Sanders said, basically is like, oh yeah, 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 racism is bad, but like um, economic discrimination is more important. Class trumps race in America. And I just don't think I just don't think we we should think that way. You know, I think it should be we should we can address um, racism and we can discuss economic inequalities. And those things are really interconnected in a lot of ways. And so I don't think it's helpful to be like, yeah, OK, be quiet about racism. We're going to focus on class. I th- I mean, somebody needs to get Bernie Sanders into some type of like racial justice 101 course. And so he can figure this shit out because this is unfathomable to I mean, me. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I like Bernie Sanders a lot. I like a lot of things that he does. And so I want to see him develop in this way. Yes. You know, I think I think uh, he has a, a lot of time before like the, the the actual nomination process comes. And it would be interesting to see him develop a more political consciousness around this. All right, so it's the end of the show. And this is when we talk about one thing we watched, one thing we read, and one thing we heard. And I can kick it off by talking about um, something I've watched. Uh, so Netflix has this new series called Chef's Table. And uh, it's it kind of explores um, uh, the lives and kitchens of um, world-renowned international chefs. And so right now on Netflix, there's six episodes of this. And... Five out of the six episodes uh, are focused on these white male chefs and them doing white male chefs. And this is an, this is an international <laughs> chefery. Show? Yeah, so yeah. it's 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 kind of like about their lives and their journey to where they are. And it, in a way, it's interesting because um, they talk for for the chefs that who are fathers and have families. They talk about how that influences their work, which is something that I don't think we've we've really seen t- when talking to chefs about um, their journey to becoming like world-renowned um, celebrated artists. Uh, so that part was interesting because now we're really getting like a new view about like what fatherhood does for some of these men. But so that's not why I'm telling you to watch this. <laughs> uh, because out of the six episodes, five of them are focused on white men. But there was one episode on one chef. Her name is Nikki Nakayama and she's Japanese-American. And um, the thing about the series is that it's beautifully shot. It's so gorgeous to look at. Um, even though I'm telling you not to watch the other episodes, I think <laughs> you can't maybe watch it because it's just, it's gorgeous. And the Nikki Nakayama episode is no different. Um, but they talk about her journey, um, from beginning in other people's restaurants and how she struggled to find her own, I guess, I guess say voice in, in, the, in the kitchen and to figure out how she wants to present her food. Um, and so she has a Japanese fusion restaurant in Los Angeles, um, that's really successful. And so she's Japanese American. She's a woman and she's queer. So it kind of felt like this, this one singular episode about Nikki Nakayama was like knocking down. Like she was just so tokenized, but I feel like you should watch it if you're interested in this type of stuff, but maybe just watch her episodes. Just like so just, so skip the first five episodes, watch her episode. Her episode is like, is right in the middle of the season. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. But check her out. It's, it's super interesting to see, um, how she came to be where she is and see like the artistry that she puts into her food. And it's called the chef's table. Chef's table. Chef's table. Yes. And, uh, her sous chef is her partner, which is also super fun to like see their dynamic in the kitchen and outside of the kitchen. I never watch food shows because I just like get jealous or overwhelmed. Um, but maybe I'll watch that one. Yes. On Netflix. Okay. Um, I read, I reread a classic book to kill a mockingbird 
uh, last week. I read it in advance of Harper Lee's new book coming out, Ghost Set a Watchman. And I was like, great, I'm going to read <laughs> To Kill a Mockingbird. And then I'm going to go read Ghost Set a Watchman. Um, but then I read the like first chapter of Ghost Set a Watchman. And now I don't want to read it. <laughs> yeah, all <laughs> like, of the reviews And I read the sad. reviews and I was like, yeah. I can't read this. I'm just not going to. But I did reread To Kill a Mockingbird. And that book is um, is amazing i last i only read it once i read it when i was in eighth grade and rereading it now i'm like oh my god i cannot believe that i've read this in eighth grade that my whole eighth grade class read this it's so dark and it's sad and it's and it's really uh scary and it and i think when i was in eighth grade a lot of it washed over me you know i think that basically the messages i took away from the book as an eighth grader as a white californian eighth grader in the 90s was Scout is an awesome tomboy and I want to be just like her and racism is bad. You know, that's kind of like as deep as I read into the book. And now reading it, um, I just like the the power dynamics among between gender, race, class, the, the sexual, the, like the sexuality and the, and the sexual violence in the book is so um, profound that I like started crying multiple times reading this book like every like every few pages I was like oh the horrors of America so I really recommend rereading it I think um it was a really good book to reread as an adult with like more of an understanding of of history and the reality of the south at the time I think when I was in eighth grade it was maybe like oh here's like a here's a novel and now I read it and I'm like oh my god this shit is still happening um yeah it's really good um, okay, so uh, last to wrap up, uh, I want to play a song that I heard this week, which is I want to go see this movie. It's it sounds bad. I'm just gonna tell you, it's a vampire mockumentary from New Zealand, but it's by the guys who make Flight of the Concords. <laughs> um, it's called uh, What We Do in Shadows, and it's like the Flight of the Concords people are like vampires living in a group house in New Zealand, and it's. <laughs> way funnier than it sounds it's no, that sounds bad. that sounds, sounds hilarious really, okay it's that, funny that um and there's a song that plays um over the credits in the film that was just haunting and wonderful and i was like what is this song is this was it written by the flight of the concords guys the song is amazing and so looked it up afterwards it turns out that this song is actually by this american folk singer named norma tanega who i had never heard of born in 1939 she was a singer songwriter all the way through the 1960s and she wrote this song. It's called You're Dead. And it's just, it's been stuck in my head for days now. And I love it. And I keep singing it to myself. And I've replayed it probably a dozen times on YouTube. So I'm going to play it for you now. You're Dead by Norma Tanega. Don't sing if you want to live long. They have no use for your song. You're dead, you're dead, you're dead. You're dead and out of this world. You'll never get a second chance Plan all your moves in advance Stay dead, stay dead, stay dead Stay dead and out of this world Run fast, don't stand in the sun There's too much work to be done You're down, you're down, you're down You're down and out of this world Back Talk is a podcast that's hosted by Amy Lamb and Sarah Merck and is a production of Bitch Media. Our producer is Alex Ward. Bitch Media is a reader and listener supported feminist nonprofit. 
If you like Backtalk and want to support our work, please head over to bitchmedia.org and donate. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Unloved, weeping like rain Guard your sleep from the sound of their pain Long gone, long gone, long gone Long gone and out of this world